Welcome to another edition to the Null Sports Podcast. Uh, we have a special edition today, joined by the Athletics Chris Vanini. Uh, lot to talk about, Chris. Uh, UCLA and USC are in the Big Ten. Um, <laughs> pretty, pretty wild uh, way to to end the uh, holiday, or I guess begin the holiday weekend. Uh, hearing that news, you said you were on a plane uh, when you found out, or I guess your your plane had just landed when you found out, and um, I wanted to have you join the podcast, not just because you've kind of followed Florida State this spring, uh, you, you obviously follow the ACC closely, but um, you had a pretty great piece uh, in The Athletic. Um, it was a piece that was great, but also depressing for me to read because it just talked about how, you know, this is bad for, for college football, how, um, you know, for for people growing up who loved watching you know, Washington, Washington State, and, uh, you know, those kind of things, that, that might be gone soon, or or I guess just more the regional feel uh, of college football. So I just want to start there. For for those that didn't read that piece, can you just kind of give us a snapshot of it and, and sort of your thoughts uh, regarding how this could kind of be the, be the beginning of a domino effect to, you know, what, what may be the end of the soul that is uh, – that comes with college football. Yeah, really the last few mornings that I've woken up and remembered that USC and UCLA are going to the Big Ten, I've just been kind of hit with a wave of depression of like, man, this is really happening. Like, Texas and Oklahoma was one thing. You know, the Big 12 was unstable. They almost joined the Pac-12 10 years ago. The Big 12 itself is only not even 30 years old. They've moved around. They're in the SEC footprint. But the Big Ten responding by adding USC and UCLA just completely upends any idea of sense of norms that we have in college football anymore. A conference that goes from New Jersey to California, not only any conference, but the the, the one of the oldest and most historic conferences in all of college sports. Nothing is off the table now. And... You know, when you hear people who think ESPN may or may not have played a role in the Texas-Oklahoma news last year, you have people think Fox may or may not have played a role in the USC-UCLA move this year, you realize that this is really not conference realignment. It's not conference expansion. It's consolidation is what it is. It's consolidation for the TV companies to give them a easier product to package and in, in, in give to fans. College sports, has, especially college football, has always been in a weird spot as a regional sport in a national landscape. And people have tried for years and years and years to sell it as a national sport like the NFL. Because if you do that, you can maybe get more viewers, you can get more money. It's a lot easier and stuff like that. So now that this is on the table, it really feels like we are heading down the road Maybe it's a few years, maybe it's a decade, maybe it's two decades, but we're going to get to the point now where there's one or two or three super conferences and of, of 30, 40 teams total, and that's the ultimate goal in the end, uh, to, to create a, uh, an NFL junior type of product. And I think that's going to leave so many fans behind in the end, your Washington States, your Iowa States, your, 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 your places like that. And I think that's overall bad for, for college football. And I've just I've heard from so many fans uh, 
before I wrote that and since I wrote that who just felt the same way that they don't don't feel the connection to the sport the way they do because it's become such a corporate uh, product much in the way the NFL is. You know, it's it's funny. I feel like uh, I've always said like the last three, four years of college football, it feels like there's been more change in those three to four years than like the 30 years that preceded that. Like it just feels like the way that things are accelerating, it's, it's never happened at this sort of pace. You think about all the changes that have happened. I feel like, uh, you know, as media members, we've, we've kind of had to calm some, you know, fans down. Say, hey, okay, just because this three-star quarterback's getting an NIL deal, it doesn't mean that the, the sky's falling. But, but when something like this happens, like you said, Texas OU, you can kind of see the SEC tie there, right? But USC, UCLA, it's like, oh, my gosh, these guys are 1,500 miles from you know the next closest Big Ten school, they've been the powerhouses in the Pac-12. They are the Pac-12. Uh, it kind of just you know it just sends shockwaves. You know, you, you, it, it's totally unlike anything that's happened. At least that's kind of what I think about it. Is that kind of how you think about it? That something like this hasn't really happened before. I mean, I know there's been conference realignment. We've seen this sort of happen before, but not on this scale. Yeah, this is not Boise State in, in San Diego State agreeing to join the Big East in football, you know, 10-ish years ago. Um, and it, it's just, for all the talk we've heard from administrators and people who worry that, you know, all players deserve to get money, but but you don't want to turn fans away. You know, it's going to turn fans off and stuff like that. Nothing, nothing turns fans off more, for the most part, than losing rivalries. Then getting a bad kickoff times, uh, not announcing your kickoffs until six days before the game, games that are going four hours plus, endless TV timeouts. Those are the things that Ticket have chipped prices. and chipped and yeah. chipped and chipped away at the loyalty of college football fans uh, for more than a decade now. And ultimately, this is that. I'm from uh, Detroit. I went to Michigan State. I grew up a Michigan fan. I'm from. Big Ten country. And I have not seen many Big Ten fans excited about this. It's just a general kind of a shrug and a, I guess this is the way it is now. Like, this is not, hey, we got a great coup here. We're going to match the SEC. Oh, man, I yeah, going to L.A. will be fun. But other than that, like, the Big Ten's history is tied together with the Pac-12, with the Rose Bowl. They've always been tied together. And this is the Big Ten essentially – opening up the door to kill the Pac-12. And most Big Ten fans aren't excited about that. I think there's a general apathy toward the news and kind of just an acceptance of, I guess, this is the way things are now. And these are the people who are the winners in all this, and, they don't, and, and they're not yeah. excited about that. Well, what does that tell you about you know, what potential this does to college sports as a whole? The ACC is in a very interesting situation because Pac-12, Big 12, you know, Texas OU, UCLA, USC, you could you could see the end of the tunnel there with their, you know, conferences, uh, you know, uh, their TV deals coming up. But with the ACC, it doesn't end until 2036. And, you know, you, you kind of start to think, okay, if a Florida State, if a Clemson, if a Miami wanted to leave the conference – 
if they felt like, man, we, we got to join the SEC, that would be a pretty pricey, pricey uh, uh, deal for them. But also, you, you look at the options. I, I was reading the story Andy Staples wrote in The Athletic, just kind of exploring all the different options where – you know, either you could you could just stick it out till twenty thirty six, or you know maybe the ACC decides, oh, we're going to be an amazing conference, and they somehow add Notre Dame, which I, that that just there's no way that's happening. Um, and then, or maybe you know a group of teams leave the conference and kind of force a renegotiation process. There's, there's kind of a few different things, but all of it seems very difficult, very lawyer heavy, very just sort of hard to, to understand for the average person. So I guess saying all that, how do you see it kind of playing out? And what do you feel like is the best move for the ACC going forward? Yeah, Andy's story is, is really interesting and kind of the, the legality of, of that. I highly recommend uh, people check that out. For me, when it comes to ACC, I look at it this way. Texas and Oklahoma have not been able to get out of their grant of rights and join the SEC, and it's looking more and more like it may be 2025. They may not be able to get their way out of it for something that's three years away. Yeah. So how in the heck is the ACC team going to get out of something that's 14 years away? That's going to be infinitely more difficult, infinitely more expensive. Um, but there's also a lot more to lose if you don't try. Texas and Oklahoma can sit around for a few years, they'll be fine. Can Clemson, can Florida State, can Miami afford to wait 14 years? So they may have to be a lot more aggressive in figuring out, figuring a way out. I think that something that would be intriguing for the ACC is maybe looking at those Pac-12 schools and adding them, whether that's a Clemson, Stanford, Oregon, Washington type of situation, in a way to be offensive, to be defensive. Um that would reopen the negotiations of that. But would that also open up a door for teams to leave? I don't know. Nobody really knows. Nobody really knows what is legal. Nobody really knows what is possible right now. Ultimately, I don't know if those ACC schools that would fit in the SEC can afford to leave. Um, but I don't know if they can afford not to leave. So it's, it's a really, really difficult spot and I'm sure all those lawyers and everybody are scrambling to figure out something. Yeah, like let's say you're an athletic director, right, in the ACC. How are you going out your days now? What are you doing? Because, I mean, obviously you've got an athletic program to manage, but this is the most important thing. But it's also like, how do you fix this? But it's also, I can't sit on my hands. I, I just, I wonder, you're Michael Alford at Florida State. How are you handling this? Are you calling up a bunch of other athletic directors just trying to get their thoughts, trying to maybe coordinate a plan? What what does that kind of look like, you think? Well, you're, you're never officially leaving a conference until you're guaranteed that you're in, until the votes are there, until it's all done. Um, you're, you're looking – I mean, obviously you're, you're looking if there's a way to get out, but you also kind of have to have it – told to you via the SEC or via ESPN that, hey, there is more money for everybody for you if you go to the SEC. Because the, the, the Big Ten didn't add Oregon and Washington, and that was not an accident. They, they would only add them if they would add to 
the TV revenue per school. This is this is the only thing realignment's about anymore. Is if we add a team, is my school getting more money? And with USC and UCLA and the Big Ten, that is the case. With Oregon and Washington, it probably is not the case because now that bar has gotten so high in order to increase revenue. Notre Dame would increase that, but I don't know if anybody else would. So if you're the SEC, it's not just simply let's grab everybody we can. You got to grab the right people. You got to grab the people that are going to add value. Is Clemson going to do that? Is Florida State going to do that? I don't know. I'm not a TV executive. I don't know what the numbers are, but I'm sure those numbers have been uh, communicated or relayed to the right people to know kind of what, what the situation is. So, if you're an AD at Florida State, you're trying to see if the SEC is interested in you, and if they are, and if they say, "Hey, yeah, it would help if you guys came." then you're finding every legal avenue possible to get out of that. If you're not Florida State or Clemson or Miami, if you're an NC State or something like that, you are probably doing everything you can to make sure that grant of rights stays and and works as a defensive maneuver to keep everybody together. So you have these athletic director calls. This happened last year. You have these calls with ADs and school officials. Hey, we want to be on the same page together, you know, because this thing just happened. But you've got so many competing interests in there that everybody knows what everybody else is is looking out for themselves because that's kind of all you can do at this point. It's like a Game of Thrones now. I mean, all these athletic directors working against each other. I mean, it's going to be kind of fun to watch. It's horrifying, but but fun to watch. I guess with Florida State, you know, is is it not a matter of if it's just where and when for them? Because I mean. You'd like to think that Florida State, Clemson, Miami are the three probably securest ACC teams when you think of, like, hey, they're, they're probably going to land somewhere else. But how it happens, when it happens, probably don't know. So if you're a Florida State fan, are you all that concerned? Or is the 2036 thing such a far-off thing that you're kind of like, okay, what, what's going to happen here? I think if you're in the ACC right now, you feel better than if you're in the Pac-12 uh, because of how long that grant of rights is. Now, in the long term, Florida State, you know, obviously their their um, financial situation hasn't been at the level of a lot of SEC schools already, and this is only going to further expand that uh, that difference. Uh, but that's it. so that's so it's kind of a world you've already been fighting, and now it's going to potentially get exponentially harder. Um, but, yeah, I think if you're Florida State, you know, like, you want to get out, but you know at the same time uh, that you've got Clemson with you, you've got Miami with you, and you guys aren't going anywhere together. So it's not like it's not like Oregon where suddenly they lost USC and UCLA and their stuff. They kind of got to figure a few things out. Notre Dame is in such a like, interesting spot because I feel like there's a couple different things they could do. What, what do you feel like? is the best move for them? And what do you feel like they'll ultimately do? I don't know. I mean, it it's not necessarily about money, because if it was about money now, they'd already be in a conference. They would get more money if they were in the Big Ten than just their own NBC deal, because the NBC deal is just about their home games, not about their road games. So it, they've already been willing to make that sacrifice. Um, and I think they would continue to be willing to make that sacrifice. But if you feel the tides are, are sending you to a spot where there are only going to be two leagues, then 
you probably need to pick one. If you think it's going to be SEC, Big Ten, and that's it moving forward, you probably got to go to the Big Ten. And that's what the Big Ten is hoping for. By adding USC and UCLA and not Oregon and Washington, they're putting the squeeze on Notre Dame to basically be like, hey, here's where things are at. You know, this is this is um, this is th- these are the options. And and if it was if they added Notre Dame, there'd be another school. I don't know if it'd be Oregon. I don't know if it'd be Stanford. Not really sure. But that's the Big Ten's next target. You know, as they look to potentially or maybe not make moves. Notre Dame is the white whale for everybody. Notre Dame and the Big Ten have been doing this for literally a hundred years. So it's not anything new. It's it, it's basically comes down to Notre Dame and do they feel like this is where the winds are heading and and, it, and it's finally time? And I don't know. We, we we don't really know yet. So I covered Notre Dame for a few seasons at the South Bend Tribune, and they have. I mean, their whole fan base, their whole administration for forever has wanted to be independent. They, they, they love what comes with the brand and the NBC deal and all that stuff. But I, I felt like in 2020, there was like a, a concern for three days when the Big Ten canceled their season, Pac-12 canceled their season, and Notre Dame's kind of like, okay, who, who's going to be on the schedule here? Because the ACC is going to have to, you know, redo their whole schedule and We'll see what that even looks like if we're included. And the ACC kind of loops them in, says, hey, you're a member for this year. You feel like at that time, I mean, the ACC obviously had a lot of leverage. Was that a time where maybe they say, yeah, we'll loop you in our schedule, but only if you join us permanently? Or, or is that something that wasn't really even a viable option for them? I just think, could that have been a missed opportunity for them? No, I think the ACC saw that it had the leverage to get Notre Dame in for at least a year, and Notre Dame knew it had to do something. Um, I think the playoff situation kind of played into it as well. You had had the ACC pushing for an eight-team model at some point. That would have, um, if it was an eight-team model with some automatic qualifiers, that would have put the squeeze on Notre Dame for sure. And you know he did. Jim Phillips denied that that had anything to do with it, but but clearly it would have put Notre Dame in that situation. The 12-team model that they came up with was the best possible plan for Notre Dame's independence. They yeah. would never be able to get a bye to the second round, but they could lose a game and get into the playoffs now all of a sudden. So they, they were in a great spot where if that had happened, they would never need to join a conference. Now, because that didn't pass, now because realignment's happening again, nobody knows what the heck the potential future playoff is going to look like, that puts Notre Dame in a bit of a tougher situation again. Now, obviously, all the other sports are in the ACC already. There, There is some grant of rights, I think, for all those sports, but football is the big one. Football is the one that that provides some money to everything. So, yeah, they're in, they're in an interesting spot. I don't expect them to necessarily have to make a quick decision. Um, the Big Ten will be patient because that's the team they want. Uh, more than anybody else, uh, if if they want to expand, so uh, so you know, people always say, "Hey, this may take a while." It often goes quicker than people think, so we kind of just yeah. have to wait and see at this point. So, uh, in that vein, I mean, it's, it feels like three months ago, but ACC released the three five five scheduling model through. I, I guess they have the games already kind of all 
planned out, mapped out through 2026. So I guess, do you see all of those games playing out, uh, playing out as, as, uh, as they're currently scheduled 2026? That's kind of the timeline of like, uh, what they've set for now. And then also what just your overall impressions of that model. You think that it's a good model for the conference in, in this current time? Yeah, it, it, it's, um, it, it's where everybody's going now. You put your top two teams against each other in the championship game. It's going to make all those championship games mean more. If the playoff had expanded to the way we thought it was going to, it was going to help that as well. Um, it, it's definitely the model to go. Plus, you would have Notre Dame potentially in, in, involved in a bunch of these as well. Uh, so it, it makes sense. And at this point, I do see it happening. I, I, I mean, like I said, I think it's going to be incredibly hard and it may take a very long time for any ACC school to get out of that grant of rights because, again, the Big 12 probably going to have 14 teams for a couple of years. You're going to have Texas and UCF playing together. You're going to have Oklahoma and Houston playing together because getting out of that is very tough. So uh, I, I think I, at, at this point, I think the ACC's you know announced plan through 2026 is probably the way it goes for now. Now, if they add teams or something like that, then – completely changes if, if they add some pac 12 teams or something then it's totally different right so i want to i want to ask you some florida state questions now uh about about the football team this season let's finally talk football uh so i i, I noticed you know the athletic does this uh pretty compelling series every year kind of a state of the program you guys kind of drop in on all the major programs for you know a week a couple days and and really just kind of give a snapshot of all the storylines, where, where everyone's at. And you, you had a chance to do that at Florida State, uh, I think in April or May. And uh, you wrote a couple stories about just sort of your impressions of, of where they're at. And you got a lot, a, a lot of time spent with Mike Norvell. So let's, let's just start there. What, what were your kind of overall impressions of Mike Norvell? And uh, do you feel like he's you know, going to get it right, you feel like he's kind of on an upward trajectory. So one of the first stories that I wrote for The Athletic uh, when we launched back in 2017 was uh, an, M- an M- M- embed with Norvell at Memphis. I just, I just stuck around him for a day during fall camp just to kind of see how everything runs and, and kind of how he runs his teams and, and the players and stuff like that. And what always stuck out about him and his teams at Memphis was just how creative and explosive they were on offense. They put in an incredible number of running backs in, into the NFL over the last five, six years, um, all from all from him in, the, in that offense and what they ran. So when he got hired by Florida State, I thought it was a, I thought it was a perfect fit. That's exactly what Florida State needed. They needed to take advantage of the kind of talent the skill talent you can get at Florida State in his offense was, would be a perfect fit for that. Two years in, it very much has not been that. They've been near the bottom of the country in explosive plays. Uh, the, the, the running game has not been the way it was in Memphis. It, it hasn't worked so far for two years. Um, and that's basically why I wanted to go down to Tallahassee and catch up with them was basically like, can he turn this around? Can they make the leap um, that everybody expected uh, him to? And I don't know. I, I mean, I think they'll be better this year. They, they got a lot better from year one to year two. But the offense still just lacks an identity. You know, we, we talked to an ACC coach about Florida State, and that was his question. It was, was, what is this team exactly trying to do on offense? 
And going into year three, um, I'm still not totally sure. They've obviously added a ton of transfer receivers. they got a bunch of different running backs to go with. The offensive line's been a problem. Jordan Travis, their quarterback, has gotten better, but he but he doesn't bring the explosive plays. So um, it, it's an interesting spot where I think Florida State could make an interesting run this year. If Clemson is not back to what we think Clemson can be, uh, then where does the ACC go? And I think Florida State, if things bounce the right way, could try to get into that mix. If things don't bounce the right way, you get something like the Jacksonville State game, and then and then you're in a, in a real uh, a real problem. That that LSU game to open the season could really set the narrative for both those schools uh, after uh, week. Uh, I guess that's technically week one. Yeah, I can't wait for that game. So much implications on both sides, but uh, you know, you talked about the identity. Is that just more of a talent issue, less of a coaching issue? I mean, Mike Norvell, his first three off seasons has added double digit transfers every year. It's clear he inherited a pretty terrible roster and had to kind of cleanse them from a talent perspective and a culture perspective. So, I mean. Do you feel like it, it's just more of like he needs the the players in place to have sort of that identity? Yeah, I, I mean he leaned heavily on transfer quarterbacks when he was at Memphis, so that's nothing new. Um, and, and they've actually, I, I think, a big point of optimism for Florida State is that they have hit on those transfers. Yeah, they added what eight guys last year, and seven of them were all conference players in some form. So. They clearly are doing a good job of identifying what they need and finding it. Um, doing that at the high school level has been a bit a bit more difficult, um, in part because they couldn't go on the road for the first year and a half that they were there because of COVID. But I think you look at those transfers, Jermaine Johnson and some of those other guys, and you see, okay, there is some pretty good talent evaluation here. Um, but this is Florida State. You know, It can't take four years to kind of get back to being a top program. You, need, you have access to talent that you don't elsewhere. You need to get some of that in through the high school ranks and, and, and make immediate uh, make immediate impact. So it, it, it's a bit of both. Um, I, obviously, the talent was not good, but you lose to Jacksonville State. That ain't that ain't a talent thing. You got more talent there. That's yeah. on that's that's on something else. But credit to the staff for re- rebounding after that terrible start last year. Uh, to get back to where, to get back to being in position for a bowl game, to beat Miami, to do some of these other things, uh, it is a testament that there is something good going on there. They just can't afford, you know, those kinds of step backs anymore. And this is the year that's gonna gonna tell you if um, if there is real potential there or not. Norvell had a really kind of fascinating quote in your story. It was something something along the lines of like, hard work doesn't mean success right and he was kind of talking about like hey we we worked hard last year and we started over oh and four we worked hard jacksonville state happened um they had a lot of coin flip games last year beginning with notre dame we saw what happened to jacksonville state and then they were on the winning side of that with you know uh miami and, and some others so is what do you feel like they need to kind of get over that hump to where they can win more of those coin flip games? Because when you look at this season, it seems like they could go anywhere between five and seven and eight and four, where they're 
there there are going to be a few of those coin flip games. Yeah, it was the, the quote from Norvell. Uh, I was hanging around practice, the last spring practice. You, you were probably there, and I had hung out in the indoor while they were practicing, and not really realized that the rest of you, the beat, had moved outside. And so I just stuck around and uh, caught Norvell talking to the team and just wrote down one of the things he said, and, and that was what he said. And then I asked him about it later when I, when I talked to him. So I kind of wasn't supposed to be around there, but you know, it's always good, to, always good to keep an ear out for what's going on there. And then, yeah, it was basically, he says, a lot of people think if I work hard, then it's all going to be good. That's not necessarily true. Last off, last off season, I thought we worked really hard. Then you're 0-4. It's not a lack of work. That's why nothing had to be changed. There wasn't this overall thinking if you work hard, Everything's going to go your way. That's not the case. That's not life. But it is necessary if you want to achieve it. So basically saying that that's the bare minimum, and, and he's right. It comes down to, in the end, players making plays in big-time games, and that's ultimately what you need to happen, and they didn't have that for a good chunk of last year. Uh, ultimately, I think this season kind of comes down to really those explosive plays again. I mean, they were they were – I got the numbers here somewhere, but something like 85th in, in plays of 30 plus yards, like 97th in passing plays of, of, of that. So it um, it you, you can't just slowly, methodically move down the field in today's game. You have to get big plays, big touchdowns, and stuff like that. And Jordan Travis hasn't quite shown the ability to do that yet. And that that's what they're going to need. That's what Mike Norvell's offenses are always built on. Uh, so, yeah, it could go. Like you said, the schedule has a lot of coin flip games on it. Ultimately, are the guys going to make plays in the end? Uh, coaches have to put them in a position to do that, and then the players are going to have to make it happen. And that that that's always the difference between a bad season and a good season, a good season and a great season. Well, Chris, this was great stuff, man. I appreciate you joining us. And uh, I guess, uh, are you going to any Florida State games this season? Or are you are – you, like which which games do you cover? Do you do mostly Big Ten, or will you be? I ha- I have no idea what my travel schedule is yet for the season. It kind of depends how the year goes. I live in Dallas, so I'll often hit uh, games around here, Red River and, and stuff like that. So um, at this point, I, I don't have any plans for any specific games. I kind of just gotta see how it goes. Well, good stuff, Chris. Thanks for joining us, and uh, it's been another edition of the Null Sports Podcast. <laughs>